and welcome back once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast as we go into our monthly review show. Playing a little bit of catch up here again. Stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just uh, I've been moving house recently. Keith's been busy on the road a lot with work. Uh, so we, we always endeavour to get back to it and it's nice to be doing it in the same room again. And this is our previews episode for books that were released in March 2023. Well, it is a reviews episode, Keith. We've yes. already done previews. You're, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, this is a review show, as we say. We're covering the March 2023 <laughs> releases. Uh, we'll then endeavour to get caught up with the April ones and be fully back up to date. Uh, but yeah, we're... Uh, the voice you heard, of course, was the sultry tones of Mr. Keith Miller, uh, joining myself, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. So, yeah, it's uh, it's we're recording this again, as we say, in the same space. We've recently done a, a previews podcast, so it was nice to share that space again, but it should uh, work much more in our favour, I think, for a more conversational style, for I reviews especially. so, and it, yeah, it's a pleasure to be in the, in the, in the same physical space, uh, recording with you again, just... Just really excited to be to be to be back uh, recording in person. Uh, you know, it's just taking it's taking it's taking the time, but uh, uh, the various bits and pieces that are going on have uh, that have necessitated it. You know, and it's uh, it's good. They have, but it's. I mean, we'll play around a little bit with it in the next couple of recordings. You know, whether it's just sitting around a table, whether it's chilling on a sofa, whether it just it's we we want this just to be sort of a, a chilled out conversational sort of review show. Uh, always talking about stuff we enjoy. You know, we're we're never going to be the type of podcast that talks about the stuff we didn't enjoy. We just won't give it airtime. So <laughs> we will focus on the good stuff uh, and be a force of positivity for the world, as they say. But yeah, as I say, we're going to be focusing on the March releases. So it was a, a pretty decent sized week, March. Um, a pretty decent sized month, I should say, because there were five release weeks. Uh, they kicked off on the 1st of March. Uh, releases on the 1st, the 8th, the 15th, the 22nd and the 29th. But despite that, Keith and I, you know, we've we've been endeavouring to bring our pull list down a little bit. You know, there's obviously only so much time we can give to the to what we enjoy but also we're I think we're both starting to fall down a little bit of a rabbit hole of reading omnibuses for example you know checking out older work that we might have missed oh yes absolutely um and I I thank you for a, a recent recommendation yeah it's nice to see it's uh, obviously we're going to be talking about Scott Snyder in one of the titles here tonight but I still argue his best ever work even taking into account his seminal Batman run. I think his best work is American Vampire, and that is something I believe you're working through. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was lucky enough to sort of get ahead of myself a wee bit uh, over the past, uh, the past few weeks. Now that I've fallen, I've fallen. Well, no, I wouldn't say I've fallen behind. Uh, mm-hmm. I picked up my pull list. I've still got uh, today's new pop, new comic book day. I picked up my pull list. Uh, I have three issues from last week's left, so I wouldn't say I'm behind. I think I'm all I right. I think that's more than respectable. Um, but uh, over the last few weeks, I managed to uh, to read uh, the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1, mm-hmm. uh, finally. I know you really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. Um, I've read now I've read bits and pieces of it over the years. I read you know the first six or the first 12 or whatever, and then bits and pieces here and there. So it was great to read it you know, with... Uh, in a, in, a, in a contiguous, yeah. yeah, in a contiguous way. I also managed to read the second uh, Dune graphic novel by from Abra- Abraham Books, was it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's been sitting for a wee while. There's a third one to come. Really, really good. Uh, really, the art uh, really sort of picks up the the uh, the feel of of the the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was recently able to start the first volume of American Vampire. And I bought I bought both of those. 
Uh, on scene. Side on scene. On scene. On solely your recommendation, and uh, I can't say I've been disappointed so far. <laughs> well, that's always good to hear. I mean, there there are certain series I think are definite home runs, and you know, if you're a fan of the medium and a fan of the genre, in which case, I mean, this even starts out in the old west, so it's definitely uh, oh, right up my right street. up your yeah, street. Uh-huh. And Stephen Keane, of course, co-wrote the first five or six issues yeah, of Snyder the, as well. Uh, the the origin of uh, of uh, Skinner Sweet. Skinner Sweet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you'll be following him a lot through those books. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, as I say, with, with March, despite it being a five-week month, uh, we actually came in neck and neck in our totals, no less, as well. Um, they're quite they're quite respectable. They're not. Sir. Over five weeks, this works yeah, out yeah. on average 15 books a week, 16 uh-huh, books yeah, a week, yeah. uh, which is more than respectable. And uh, so our, our totals were 82 books a piece mm-hmm. now of course our ratios are slightly different i mean i have a little bit more dc keith has a lot more marvel mm-hmm. i have a little bit more indie my books came in at 82 in total 26 of those were dc 21 of those were marvel which is pretty neck and neck actually and then i had 35 indie books so uh it's no surprise that i've got a few indie picks for my picks of the month for sure um and yeah i think it's 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 interesting that you know we have varying tastes uh you know, there's a lot of this. we are do you read some of the same stuff. We have very taste, but we still just landed on eighty two. Uh, yeah, you know, both is is quite uh, is quite cool for a month. Uh, ratio slightly different. I had nineteen T D C, so that was seven less than your good self. I had thirty seven Marvel, so that was sixteen more than your good self, and I had twenty six N D, so that's nine less. I guarantee those extra 16 Marvel books you had more than me are X titles and Star Wars. Um I'm not I'm not grabbing a lot of Star Wars but uh X titles yeah I think so. Um I mean are you reading the likes of I'm reading the likes of Captain America, the likes of Black Cat, those sorts of things. Ghost Rider, the likes of Amazing Spidey, the likes of Daredevil, the likes of Punisher, uh, yeah. Moon Knight. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think there are a lot of the Marvel titles that so we do coincide. So it's just I don't yeah. read the Xbox. So, that, yeah, there'll be three. three or f- yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're probably right. That's, that's There's a lot of Xbox. Yeah. There are quite a few <laughs> Xbox. I did pick up one fantastic indie trade this month, mm-hmm. uh, which you may recall what it was. Uh, what was it? Remind me. Oh well, you know, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna pick up one in the trade, it may as well be uh, the official coffee in here was book of the year last year. Well, in my opinion, which was uh, was do a powerbomb. Yes, absolutely. Warren Johnson. Um, I picked it up. I took it with me. I was over in Glasgow at the start of the month, and uh, I took a couple of issues and I took do a powerbomb with me, and I got in to do a powerbomb on the plane, on the way over, and uh, I couldn't put it down. Couldn't yeah. put it down. Finished it then. Uh, on the airport on the way back it was only over for a, for a day and a night um, mm. or a night and a day and uh, so finished it on the way back uh, yeah. just before and I, if you recall I texted you going <laughs> this was brilliant so thoroughly brilliant book not a, not a wrestling fan uh, of the of the modern era well he wasn't a wrestling fan he's not but, a huge uh, wrestling fan but yeah I thoroughly enjoyed that I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed that but then given the given the power behind it like yeah uh, you know it, uh, yeah very very good Daniel Warren Johnson uh Mike's, just was, was yeah, Mike Spicer on uh, Colours, yep. who, of course, has been his Colours through Better Ray Bill, through Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, and now do a power bomb. So that's, uh, and also the Colours on Ram Swamp Thing. Very true. Uh, that is very true indeed. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm really, really glad you enjoyed it as much as, as you did. I, I always say to people, like, even if you're not a wrestling fan, you'll enjoy it. But I say that as someone who is a wrestling fan. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, maybe to... I don't specifically know that you will. But, yeah, yeah, it's just such a great piece of storytelling, full of heart. 
Um, great family drama as well. Great imagination. I mean, I just love the idea and do a power bomb that obviously people know wrestling is you know choreographed to a certain degree and predetermined and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I love that this uh, multi sort of dimensional tournament that takes place that earth is the only place where that's the case exactly. Re- wrestling is real everywhere else in the galaxy so everyone else is hitting for keeps you know um yeah how do we delu- add a deluxe hardcover in there as well which was snow angels which was from uh, jeff lamar and jock uh really good it was a comicsology series originally uh released as two trade paperbacks which i did own uh but i ended up selling those off because i got the hardcover which is uh oversized and collects all 10 issues together as well but uh, yeah, no. As I say, there was there was tons of great stuff this month. Um, and as as I say, I think our totals are much more respectable there. Um, we've done our best to not tread over the same sort of ground that we always do. Yeah. You know, Keith had seven or eight books he was choosing between, and thankfully has a really good list of what we've picked over the last maybe a year and beyond. Yeah, yeah. So you, so we don't always want to be talking about the same thing. So no mention of Nightwing this. Uh, this podcast for uh-huh. a change no yes. mention of that texas blood yes no mention of that's a bit of a cheat there was no that texas blood released don't <laughs> ruin don't jump on my parade yeah. don't jump on my yeah, parade yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah no we, we wanted to talk about some different stuff so of course i say all of that <laughs> last month deceased number six was a pick of the month for me uh-huh. You may recall I nearly cried over it as we talked about it. Yes. Well, Deceased War of the Undead Gods number seven is my first choice this <laughs> month. So you can pretty much just uh, disregard everything I just said. But yeah, Deceased War of the Undead Gods, as I said, is my first choice. Number seven. It's seven of eight. Uh, it has now finished as we are recording this. And I'm delighted to say it ended very, very well. But issue seven was the, the straight pickup from that huge bombshell that alfred had taken on the powers of the specter in this universe you know they the 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 creative team in this has just been firing on all cylinders the last few issues especially tom taylor writing trevor hairstein on art um and they just they make the dc universe quite horror based quite scary based um there's real stakes at place here you know we get to see some wild team-ups we get to see loads of wild sights character combinations like as i say with alfred and and the specter Characters shifting sides, you know, they're they're not sure which way they're going to go. But yeah, last issue's reveal of Alfred as the Spectre was just an incredible moment for me. Again, it, you know, it always has that extra resonance because obviously I named my son Alfred. Um, <laughs> it does have that resonance. But the last issue ended with Alfred talking about how none of his sons would ever be harmed again. And, you know, he took on that par. And, uh, you know, Alfred continues to narrate the deceased issues, which is something I really enjoy as well because... I've said it before, Alfred is missing from the main DC Universe. I think a little bit of the heart and soul of DC Universe is missing with that. But uh, for this issue, you know, we see the citizens of Earth 2 trying to escape the invasion of the undead. And it really doesn't look too promising, as any second last issue shouldn't do before the hopeful inevitable conclusion. But uh, what's cool is Lobo's introduced in this issue a lot more. Uh, He's getting closer because he's basically been, I don't want to say hired by the citizens of Earth 2, but... They did have to appeal to his more uh, his more benevolent self, shall I say. They basically promised him all types of women and riches and drinks and all the rest. <laughs> it's, it's his mercenary self. To save the universe, exactly. But uh, he takes down Light Ray, first of all, while he's on his bike, just dragging him along the ground. You know, it's suitably gruesome, as you would expect. But uh, it's really nice seeing Lobo throughout the series. And 
you know, I, I said this before with uh, when Tom Taylor did Dark Ages for Marvel. I know you're not a fan of Deadpool, but Tom Taylor managed to find a way to make him funny yep. and interesting. Small doses, of course. Yes. But, but that's what he's done here with Lobo as well. But yeah, there's some real heartbreaking moments in this issue of Big Barda and Mr. Miracle fighting in the middle of the battle. You know, their son turns up as one of the undead. and That art is phenomenal. Um, Trevor Harrison is just, a, he knows his stuff inside and out. That it, is, it's, it's, it's nice sitting beside you and being able to look at it and go, that art this, is phenomenal. This is quite yeah. nice, isn't it? You know, you can flick through the issues and so forth, see the big moments, you know. Um, it's, it's just been a really, really great book the last couple of issues. But what you can see in this issue, and again, going back to the horror side of things, is, you know, Damien's now starting to turn because he's been infected by the undead. I mean, look at the horror imagery here of him, like, scratching at himself and uh, stuff through the bat call, no less, because obviously Damien has taken on the mantle of the bat. Um, you know, Darkseid gets involved at this point. Darkseid realises he's been used as a pawn throughout this whole thing by the undead, and he does not take that well. Uh, I can tell you. <laughs> and Darkseid actually sides with the good guys and then, you know, joins their, their fight. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the issue literally ends with we gained an unlikely and terrifying ally that day, and it's Darkseid who's actually standing right beside Superman, getting ready to try and save the world. So, yeah, it's just a, a really, really good book. Um, It's been great, especially the last few issues. The, the start was a little shaky, but overall I think the deceased um line, all five volumes, has been really, really strong. I'm delighted to say it ended well. So I'll take an omnibus of it, please, at your earliest convenience, DC. Thank you very much. Deceased, Worthy Undead Gods, number seven, my first pick of this month. Lovely. Um, I am going to immediately spin us out of the big two uh, and into the big third one. I really wanted you to say, yeah. and into the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> well, that's, that's not happening. Um, so yeah, I've got uh, I've got in front of me uh, Rory McConville and Declan Shelby's Time Before Time, number 21. Um it's uh, it's uh, called Free Fall. Uh, it's got a beautiful cover, uh, and that cover is a Declan Shelby cover, uh, no less. It's a lovely sort of yeah, orange I cover. Dex, and I think Dex done the covers for all yeah, the issues. I, I think, think he needed to scratch that artistic edge. Yeah, this think is a so. this is a a written by rather um, than an art by. I mean, Time Before Time has been uh, while the time travel mechanics are not something you can twisted up mm -hmm. there are a lot of different time periods in it ranging from uh four billion years in the past up to you know four thousand years in the future uh, ad you know so four billion bc to uh four thousand ad um and there's a lot of different things going on in those time periods um now rory and, and deck have managed to sort of sprinkle these throughout the last sort of 21 issues and we know that um that in the next few months we'll be we'll be coming down to the final arc so we're going to see a lot of these a lot of these twisting but i think it's fair to say that uh, over the last few issues and certainly with this issue um i think time before time has really hit its stride it's really hit its stride and i'm not i'm not saying it wasn't good before but i think it's really really good but it might it might help if I read you the previously. Mm -hmm. um, you're on this as well. Yeah, aren't you? yeah, I'll be on it from the start. But it says after breaking into the base of the technophobic Arcola Institute in thirty nine eighty seven, Nadia and Kevin the robot successfully stole a long range time travel pod. They journeyed billions of years into the past, where Nadia has finally reunited with her long lost mother and sister in Arcola, which was her mission from the start. 
But when reality doesn't match the family reunion uh, she always envisioned, uh, she works with Kevin to fix a pod in order to escape the technophobic utopia. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to Nadia and Kevin, Tatsu survived the massacre of their co-institute, but is now uh, a prisoner of Sebastian the Bounty Hunter. So there's an awful lot going on here. Um, we know that uh, death in comics and in... And all the media that we love can be a very uh, passing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Superman has died, Spider-Man has died, Spock has died. You know, everyone has, you know, but... Uh, and, and you would think we're, we're all getting a wee bit, uh, you know, we're, we'd, we'd expect Cheated. it. But sometimes with, uh, with an independent comic, uh, you kind of think, you know, so, so well, you might think it might not be a surprise. I did text Declan and go... Tatsu! <laughs> Whatever I thought he was dead. Um, of course, uh, Declan went, yep, you know, can't win them all. You know, but... <laughs> you know, so... so Typical yeah, sardonic response. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so I'm glad to see him. I'm glad to see him back. But, you know, there, there have been a few... A few... Uh, maybe... Yeah, I think they've, they've been building up to this. Uh, and there, there are there are a whole bunch of storylines. So the the storyline with uh, with Sebastian the bounty hunter uh, again a, a character who we've seen his motivations already. The motivation he's got a sick uh, a sick niece or sick granddaughter is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know in the past. Um, and uh, you know why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, we've got uh, Tatsu and so that you know what he's doing he's doing in in the thirty nine hundreds. Uh, Tatsu in the twenty eight hundreds. Uh, he's just been rediscovered and, and captured by Sebastian and then uh, four, four, 4 billion BC 4 billion 688 no I'm not even going to try <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, years ago we have Nadia she's finally caught up with her with her family but she's got Kevin the robot with her and the, this whole uh, culture and city and, and world that they've built 4 billion years ago where mm-hmm. they where they were escaping the the war between the you know the the the, the, Sunday, the you know the time uh, mobsters yeah. effectively uh, they're absolutely anti robot uh, of course Kevin's her friend you know so uh, in this issue or last issue the, the, her sister discovers uh, discovers Kevin and suddenly we've got a we've got a, a chasing sequence where Kevin's on the run from the this apparently utopian society you know they're uh, they're effectively machine fascists. Um, which I think is an interesting thing in this current world where AI is very much in the discourse. Rampant, but it's yeah. okay. James Cameron has protected. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, he has instilled yes. failsafes. <laughs> so, so there's so much, there's so much going on in this issue. It's not hard to follow. It's uh, it's very well paced. Uh, even the jumping between those different timelines mm-hmm. uh, is very well handled. And in the end, uh, we see the uh, the reemergence of a of a character who. Uh, a character who was in the book uh, uh, quite a while ago disappeared under um, strange circumstances, and uh, has now returned, uh, and uh, possibly not with uh, not with uh, with with good things in mind. So, so yeah, really, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, the issue does a fantastic job of moving along the action as well as answering some some questions that have been that have been hanging about uh, as well as uh, raising a few new ones um, so I mean while this series has sometimes been difficult to follow because of the jumping in time mm-hmm. uh, this this issue and these last few have not been 
and uh, maybe it's just because I'm getting my head in the game with it, you know. Well, it could be settling into the groove from the creators as well and simplifying things a little bit and, you know, you throw a lot of things at the wall sometimes, it's all about what sticks. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, they, they put a rod for their backs when they first described it as Looper meets Saga because you were really <laughs> putting yourself under pressure to deliver there. But yeah, no, time before time, as you say, we, we recorded a previous pod recently as well. The last story arc's about to begin. Yep. So it's, it's got a good 30 issues, so there's plenty there to sink your teeth into. And it's been very, very confidently told. The one thing too has been that the artists have rotated a little bit here and there, uh-huh. but it's never felt, maybe it's because you read it month to month, I'd be curious to see how it reads in a trade, uh-huh. but uh, it's never felt jarring, you know, the art styles have been relatively similar. In some cases there have been one shots between. Yeah, which, chain, yeah, which is more uh, easily understandable. It, you know, uh, 100%, no, I, I absolutely love it, and it's, uh, who the artist on this is... Uh, Jorge Coelho, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and uh, uh, colours are by Chris O'Halloran, uh, just go together really, really well. Um, we've got uh, we've got a, you know, the, the gritty the gritty future uh, of you know the the three thousands and the four thousands and the the bounty hunters worn over Tetsu Tetsu back. He made a sacrifice that uh, that his his friends haven't quite benefited from. It hasn't gone the way things are turning south in the far far past. And this utopia, which isn't the utopia we thought it was, Nadia hasn't got what she all she's got what she always thought she wanted, and she doesn't want it. Um, there's a lot going on. Yeah, very, very, very good. Um, yeah, I'm uh, glad glad Tetsu's back, and looking forward to seeing what the uh, the final nine or ten issues of this of this series bring. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, time for time. Obviously, trades are all available in store. First uh, three trades, I believe, have been uh, released so far. Uh, trade four is on the way, and then trade five, of course, will bring the story to its conclusion. So and, you can uh, play catch up there. And obviously, if you're if you're interested, we uh, we interviewed uh, Deck and Rory uh, specifically back, for yeah, time before about time this series. So if you want to go back along the Spotify track. You can uh, you can find that interview. You certainly can. So uh, yeah, time before time twenty one there for Keith's first pick of March. I'm gonna keep the indie gravy train rolling <laughs> with uh, and another with well this is a brand new number one. This is a new series that launched now. If you're a digital comics reader, this might not be a new series that's launched for you, as this was again part of the Scotttober. Uh, such a terrible title. Uh, an October where Scott Snyder released a whole bunch of um, independent creator own titles through Comixology. We've talked about some of them in the past already on previous review show. We've talked about We Have Demons with Greg Capullo. We've talked about Night of the Ghoul with Francesco Francovia. Well, one I've been waiting for and one that definitely didn't disappoint is Clear. There's a brand new number one, as I say, Scott Snyder writing, and it is Francis Manipul on art. Now, Francis Manipul is someone I came across through his New 52 run on Flash. Always loved his art. It's really dynamic. It's really fast-paced. It's really action-orientated. So, of course, it completely suited, you know, the fastest man alive. But it works brilliantly here because he's actually exercising slightly different artistic bones uh, simply because of the format of Clear. So, basically, Clear, it's set in the not-too-distant future. You know, mankind no longer sees the world as it truly is. You know, you're just talking about AI and stuff like that. This is a book that could come to pass. You know, it's... In this book, you've basically got the invention of neurological filters that's made it so people can view reality reality however they choose. You know, if they want to walk down the street and see the world as old 1920s Hollywood, that's what they can see. If they want to imagine they're walking down the street and it's a zombie apocalypse, that why they would want to is a different thing. But that's what they can see. If they want to see the world as if it's drenched in anime art, 
that's what it is. The possibilities are pretty much endless for it. You know, you talk about how people have avatars in computer games these days and see the world in a different way. Again, this is maybe a, a future that's not too uh, not too far off, but it's set in San Francisco 2052. The main character is a character called Sam Dunes, but he's one of a handful of characters who actually don't use the filter. He likes to see the world how it actually is. Uh. So it's a sort of classic noir trope where you've got the hard-boiled detective who feels like he's on his own. In this case, he really is because he's the only one that looks at the world as it is. But the inciting incident uh, that gets the story moving is that uh, he gets hired to investigate a murder uh, by a mysterious femme fatale, of course. You can see why this appeals to me. It's basically Blade Runner, by the way, of noir. Uh, but the thing about it is the, the investigation he's called into is uh, to investigate the, mur- the murder of a woman who used to be an old flame of his uh, and she sent a watch saying that she was murdered and uh, you know leaving him a breadcrumb breadcrumb trail of clues as well but yeah the art the whole way through this is just utterly utterly wonderful I mean you look at the pages you look at the colouring you look at the diversity of art the whole way through it you know one minute you're reading it and it's set during wartime in the 1920s the next minute it's like a Blade Runner neo-drenched noir masterpiece, full of action as I say, and just a really good uh, inciting incident, getting kicking things off. And even by the end of the issue, he basically uh, gets shot to pieces, seemingly to death. But uh, suffice to say that will not be the case because there's more issues to come. But yeah, really great stuff. If you're a fan of sci-fi, if you're a fan of noir, you can always rely very much on Scott Snyder for his... Uh, for you know great ideas well executed characters all that kind of stuff so uh yeah highly highly recommended i mean for the art alone it's it's totally worth it but there's a, a good yarn being told here as well so uh yeah that is clear number one printed through dark horse comics uh and again whereas far now is issue two and i believe it's going to be an issue uh, three issue mini series again they're always oversized these comicsology originals you get plenty of Plenty of bang for your buck. It looks, it looks, it looks interesting. Um, it was a, you know, um, obviously we've talked about how we're we're both trying to be a wee bit more careful with our, with our dosh, um, and uh, and what we pick up, but it definitely is an interesting looking one, and I like the, uh, I like the underlying sort of message of it that, you know, we, the way, the way, it's a it's a play on what's going on now. Oh yeah. You know the the way that we. We choose the way we see the world. Yeah. Uh, through the, uh, through the way we consume our media, through the the TV channels we watch, the news we consume, yeah. the the social media we consume, we, media, we yeah. decide who we want to follow. You uh, exactly. Know. You end up in your own little echo chamber. Yeah. You, you can ignore yeah. uh-huh. news outlets. You can ignore one side of the yeah, news yeah. or that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, so it's a very it's a very pointed way of. Uh, of investigating that, of, of of looking at that. I think sort of so. that on acid and yeah, I mean and and. Setting up that interesting world, but doing it then through a classic noir trope, you know, the murdered woman from the past, the mysterious femme fatale who hires him, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just right up my alley. So, uh, yeah, clear number one. It's, as I say, going to be a three-issue miniseries. Scott Snyder, Francis Manipool is my second pick from March. That leads us on to yourself. What is number two in your world this time? Well, number two, uh, not necessarily because it was the the second least or the second most enjoyable of the five I picked. Uh, but definitely one I wanted to highlight and uh, we're moving into the House of Ideas for this. 
Uh, and it's the first issue of Jed McKay and Pasquale Ferry's Doctor Strange. Um, so it's a it's a relaunch. Yeah. Uh, it's a relaunch and uh, relaunch, but also follows. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, relaunches relaunches can be a touchy topic mm-hmm. uh, for for those of us who are who are who choose this uh, medium to choose to yeah. see this medium and there's there's a load of them. There's uh there's there there's so so many of them uh, that. Uh, one of the best things they've done over the years is is add legacy numbering. Uh, I Which think finally DC are taking. Oh over. yeah, absolutely. I think it's great because it means that folk like you and I can just go, okay, yeah, it's the next issue. You yeah, know? Uh, absolutely. But you know, so you've got you've got volumes of books, you know, that are you know, so that you might you know, Doctor Strange started with volume one, but it might be a volume eleven or twelve now, mm-hmm. you know, because of the number of relaunches. But the way. And I'm not normally a huge fan of every time there's a new creative team, you you sort of relaunch. But the way that they have done uh, this... So this is kind of the third arc of Jed McKay's Doctor Strange, Strange story. So we started uh, we started with... Um, we started with the death of Doctor Strange, which was his, his miniseries. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Um... The name does what it says in the tin. Uh, it was that Doctor Strange wasn't the lead. Well, Doctor Strange was the lead character, but he was also the murder victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way I'll, I'll not go into it, but it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, Clea, his wife, was a was a lead character in that as well. The next sort of volume was just called Strange again by Jed McKay, um, and it was aptly named because it wasn't about Stephen, Stephen Strange. Strange. It was Clea Strange, his estranged wife. <laughs> there ends the podcast. We're, there's nowhere to go but down from there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange wife, yes. Um, who had taken on the role, she's already the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. She had taken on the role of the Sorcerer Supreme of the Earth Dimension and her goal, uh, her stated goal, was to resurrect her husband. Uh, and during the, 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 the course of that, we find out that Stephen Strange was the Harvestman uh, who was the uh, the Sorcerer Supreme of the Death Dimension or something like that, was serving mm-hmm. death. Uh, and uh, with the reveal that that was Stephen, the title of Strange made even more sense because we had Stephen Strange and Clea Strange. Clear. Both strange. So this now uh, is the third volume of Jed McKay's uh, Doctor Strange. And uh, we have him uh, sliding back into sort of more like the status quo he had he is the Sorcerer Supreme of the Earth Dimension again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has he and Clea are no longer estranged. Uh, they live in the they live in the mansion. They're together. She is the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. So they are they are quite the par couple in the Marvel universe, um, you know. And Doctor Strange is now, uh, sort of the the the, the Doctor you consult about things. Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, the Tories hadn't you know single handedly torn down the NHS, that would be something. It would be like you go into a consultant you know and saying i have a problem can you help yeah. me you know um so yeah so i mean I, I like that way of doing relaunches uh and i like the way they've i like the way they've done this and uh i just i, I really enjoyed this uh this comic so there is a backup story in it um which uh well we'll, we'll talk about the backup story after we talk about the original story uh but the the, the core story is uh is by jen mckay and uh Artist by Pasquale Ferry. We start off just uh, going back over what's happened recently. 
uh, with uh, Clea discovering he was the Harvest Moon and freeing him and, and now, you know, the victory and where he is and, uh, you know, uh, Bats, the ghost dog, is, is back front and centre again. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just he's, uh, you know, he effectively goes out to, uh, to consult with uh, other people in the Marvel Universe. Uh, he uh, initially consults with uh, with Peter Parker, uh, Spider Man. Uh, there's a who has lost his soul uh, to a demon who is playing a, a three card poker in the Flatiron District. Uh, you know he he goes in to consult with uh, on Tuesday. This is his diary for the week. Yeah. He goes in to consult with Luke Cage. You know who is the the mayor of New York City about uh, various supernatural weirdos around the uh, around the uh, the city. Consult with a black cat who has done him a lot of favors over the last the last few years because obviously Jeff McKay writes a black cat as well. Consults with Doom on Thursday, uh, and uh, on Friday he has a wee bit of a consultation it's with Daredevil. Starting to sound like a Craig yeah. David song. Yeah, uh... Doom on Thursday, Daredevil <laughs> on Friday. You know, uh, you know, there's some great stuff on Saturday. We see him relaxing with Clea, but there's some throwbacks to um to earlier, uh, volumes of Strange. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Was it Mark Wade? Uh, who, we he who 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 made canon the fact that Stephen can't eat normal food, so he has to eat weird, yeah, uh, supernatural food. So you see him with two handfuls of these tentacled fucking things that he's putting in his mouth. So, uh, but yeah, it's just it's just a fantastic, uh, fantastic book. Follows on follows on perfectly. Uh, we have. We yeah, he just he just he sets up this new status quo, encounters demons, magical foes. Um, and just a great start to a new series. Great potential. There's no limit to the adventures that uh, that could could happen from from here on in, and uh, and we finish with a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a, a cliffhanger, um, and uh, you know uh, we've got uh, we've got demons cursing the strangers, <laughs> you know. So yeah, so I think it's uh, I mean Pasqual Ferry, absolutely fantastic. Uh, recently, of the Neymar the Submariner miniseries. Mm-hmm. One of Marvel's um, stalwarts. It's, was it uh, Spider Man? What was the? He did the what if Spider Man Spider yeah, Shadow. The Spider Shadow with, yeah. with Chip. I mean, great dialogue, uh, great scripting. The you know absolutely matches the the tone is is fantastic. Really positive, really open and free. Celebrating the fact that Stephen Strange is back. Doctor Strange is back, um, and uh, great to include other characters: Spider Man, Luke Cage. You know, really, uh, tying them back into the Marvel yeah, universe. It's, it's it's one of the things that I do think the Marvel books do better than DC books is flesh out their universe. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's a Doctor Strange book, but Spider Man's in it. Luke Cage is in it. Daredevil is in it. You know, I think they do. You know, with them all being set in New York, of course, it, it does help. But yeah, I mean, you can. You also, I mean, that Pasqual Ferry art is just fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. It, uh, oh, beautiful book. Just as we're flicking through, it's a, it's a great book. He's a great choice of artist, uh, a very warm artist. Um, and he, he brings that warmth while still uh, while still uh, providing clean lines I think um, and uh, lovely lovely uh, colours there's that Matt Hollingsworth is that's it? exactly right Matt Hollingsworth's colour lovely pastel shades on, on Pascal Ferry's uh, colours uh, looks really really good um, so yeah really chuffed backup story is um, features Wong and uh, I think it's the agents of Wand who were uh, the a division of Shield who dealt with magic stuff, uh, and he's uh, it's it's a it's a very chaotic sort of energetic sort of uh, story, uh, but pretty pretty cool nonetheless. Um, so yeah, overall, um, beautiful book, great book. Uh, really enjoyed the story. It's a 
it's a chunky enough book. Feels a, feels a wee and bit good for newcomers yeah. as well because even though it's the third volume of uh, Jed McKay's sort of run on Strange or the Strange Universe, if you will, uh, it, it's good at getting you caught up to date again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've had a few people jump on it who weren't on Strange, for example, and they've really enjoyed the first issue. And I think two dropped this week, did it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you on this? Yeah. You picked it up? Yeah. Um, there's an interesting editor's note that uh, the first full issue ever that Pasqua Ferry ever drew for Marvel was Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 83 in 1993 hmm. or is that 33 I can't read it I hope it's not 33 no <laughs> 83 he'd <laughs> be a very old artist 19, sorry 83 in 1995 or 85 in 1995 I need glasses <laughs> uh, so this brings his career full circle which is exactly what you like to see yeah absolutely and of course uh, you got through all of that and we didn't even mention the absolutely gorgeous as ever Alex Ross cover oh yes absolutely. well yeah absolutely you that's know. a really good point Alex right. Ross just continues to bang out great stuff the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, recently he was yeah. doing Captain America covers, Black Panther covers. I think the two main ones he's on now are Fantastic Four and uh, Doctor Strange. Yep. No, beautiful, beautiful so covers. Always worth keeping an eye out for those. So that was uh, Doctor Strange number one, Keith's second pick from the month of March. Uh, I'm going to go into one that it's going to be a bit of a strange one to review for the simple reason that it's the last issue of a six issue miniseries. There are lots of secrets revealed. Uh, and I don't want to give away those secrets because you should definitely pick this up and trade. But I just wanted to throw a bit of love towards this title. Um, you know, Keith and I were chatting when we were doing the previews podcast about the uh, about GCPD, The Blue Wall, which mm. is going to hit trade soon. And it seemed to be a book that, uh, it had echoes, of course, of Gotham Central, but it was a book that was maybe one to explore real world issues within the comic medium, for example. So it came with a disclaimer before it of this comic contains well this one is the same so for before gotham city year one number six which is from tom Keane and phil hester uh, this comic contains language of a racially offensive nature and may not be suitable for all age groups its inclusion is an intentional creative choice intended to highlight the fact the language of this type was frequently deployed in past decades and remains in use today even as contexts evolve Readers for whom such language is triggering or hurtful should be advised. Mm. So the reason for that is because Gotham City Year One, as its name sort of implies, is set primarily in the past, <clears throat> in a totally different era. the The story is bookended by a uh, a former private detective called Slam Bradley. Uh, what a name! Great name, the kind of name that could only exist in you know early days of noir. But he's essentially lying on his deathbed. And, but before he dies, he wanted to tell Batman this story about the early days of Gotham. And he actually goes into a little bit of detail on the early days of the Waynes. And the Waynes' past is checkered, if nothing else. Now, of course, you can put this down to Unreliable Narrator if you want. This This isn't now considered canon for you know the DC Universe. Because this uh, basically is to do with Bruce Wayne's grandmother. Uh, but... As I say, it's it's maybe just an old man on his deathbed wanting to mess with Batman. Who knows? But it's a ridiculously great story. So Gotham City Year 1, it kicks off with uh, two generations before Batman. Sam Bradley gets tangled in the, quote, kidnapping of the sentry as the infant Wayne heir disappears in the night. And that begins a brutal, hard-boiled epic tale of, uh, of Sam Bradley basically being moved from pillar to post. I mean, the closest thing I would put this to is... A very famous Jack Nicholson Roman Polanski movie called Chinatown. Oh yes, very similar vibe the whole way through this, um, but 
it ends absolutely brilliantly. So by issue six, I mean, I have to throw one or two spoilers out there. But basically, the, the daughter is kidnapped, the infant Wayne heir. She's actually found dead. You know, this is not a story with a happy ending. But in, in Gotham, the Waynes are held in such high regard that because of this, like, war has broken out on the streets. Riots have started in the streets because this little, you know, innocent baby was essentially killed. So the whites are attacking the blacks on the streets of Gotham because a black person has been uh, pinpointed as the, you know, person responsible, rightly or wrongly. Obviously, Slam's trying to get to the truth. Even going back to the early days of Gotham, the GCPD is as corrupt as you could imagine, you know, with cops covering up details and, you know, not letting uh, the truth come to the fore. It's just, it's a really, really interesting look at a, at a time in Gotham where Batman didn't exist, you know, the Joker didn't exist, all of this kind of stuff. But it shows kind of how Gotham City has always been rotten to its core in one way or another and how it's built. It's kind of built on a lie. But <clears throat> I've always been of the opinion, and this is something that's explored here, <clears throat> no one gets to be ridiculously rich by being a nice person. No. You know what I mean? They step on a lot of people along the way to reach that status. Now, you could argue someone like Bruce Wayne, for example, that's inherited wealth. But at this point, this is not inherited wealth. Uh -huh. These are not good people. Um, but, I mean, inherited wealth can also be a, a bad thing. Oh, 100%. Know. But, but I, I suppose more what I mean is, it shows how these people built their wealth and mm -hmm. they are not good people. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, no, Tom King does some fantastic work here. You know, as I say, the only time you see Batman in it is just as a bookend, as Slam is telling his story um, on his deathbed. Uh, I really, really enjoyed for, uh, <laughs> just for one little detail, um, they set up this Wayne Chemical Processing Factory this is back in like the 40s. Mm -hmm. Poured it right over the spot where Johnny Boy betrayed me and then got betrayed himself. Concrete and steel. The grand opening took place about a year after the rats. It was well attended. Constance Wayne spoke at the ribbon cutting. She praised a new day for Gotham City. Well, this Wayne chemical processing factory would become Ace Chemicals. <laughs> you know, you can even see like just the, the formation, or sorry, the continuation of the art. You've got like the sewage outlet that comes in. And it's just getting darker and grimier the whole mm -hmm. way through it. Just as Gotham is getting more and, and more the, rotten. The Wayne, the, the W from the Wayne just falls off. Just falls off. Uh -huh. Bit by bit becomes a little bit slanted. But Sounds like you maybe you could maybe read this. You could read uh, Gotham Central and then you could read GCPD, The Blue Wall. In fairly, uh, fairly quick succession. I think so. I mean, it, it is interesting to see DC take these kind of risks on these kind of books. Uh -huh. Because it is very much adult storytelling. It's not... This is not your Batman book that, you know, you give to a nine-year-old going, here you go, Batman, crash, pow, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it deals with some very serious themes. But issue six, I already thought the art was gorgeous the whole way through this series, but issue six really takes it to new heights. Some of the spreads, you know, you see jazz musicians playing in the background as the city's burning, you know, the way, like, mm -hmm. you know, like choirs would go down with the ship, so to speak. Oh, yeah, yeah, think yeah. Of the Titanic, that kind of thing. You know, you see the bright colours, you see the blood in the air, you see the, the fear and the hatred as, as Gotham's being torn apart. Yeah, just a really, really fantastic, and then of course a big dawn of DC bright advert in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, I know, what, sorry, what did you say, what period did you say that was set in? So this, is, like this is being set back in like the 1930s, 30s. 1940s. Yeah, okay. Um, it's to do with the Wayne's um, grandparents. 
But as I say, there's some deep, dark secrets that do get revealed in this book about the Wayans mm-hmm. that I could see polarizing some people. Okay. But again, you got to take it with a pinch of salt because it's unreliable narrator. It's an old man telling a story on his deathbed. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of curious if they will ever um, actually uh, act upon any of this information and filter into the Batman okay. mythos. Okay. So, uh, yeah, no, highly, highly recommend the title. It will read better as a trade. Uh, because again, Tom King stuff does tend to in general, <laughs> but yeah, only six issues. You know, gorgeous colors by Jordy Belair the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Great art by Phil Hester, and again, I continue to be a fully paid up member of the Cult of King. <laughs> Gotham City Year One Number Six from March is my third pick of the month. Alrighty, uh, and my third. Oh wait, we at third pick already? Are we? Uh, my third pick of the month is uh, sticking with the House of Ideas. And it's Ghost Rider 12, Legacy Numbering, Legacy 255. Very important. Uh, by, uh, by Ben Percy with uh, Corey Smith on pencils. And, uh, of course, we all know that when Innocent Blood is spilled, the Spirit of Vengeance is born and Johnny Blaze uh, finds himself transformed into the Ghost Rider. But uh, the Ghost Rider's old foe, Blackheart, has been uh, secretly, over, the, over this last 11 issues, has been sort of secretly influencing... Uh, various uh, uh, power centers, political power centers, and such and such across the US, and has been sowing chaos throughout the country. Would be responsible for some of the things, the real life things we've seen happening in the country of America, you know, uh, over the last few years and such. But uh, uh, Johnny and the Ghost Rider defeated Blackheart. And uh, and uh, sent him sent him uh, sent him packing back to, back to hell, but he you know the influence of what he did is still is still very much front and center. Johnny has teamed up with an FBI agent called Talia Warroad. She's an FBI agent, but she's very much in the supernatural side of things. Mm-hmm. You know she's uh, her uh, you know she operates by herself. You know she doesn't really respect the rules. She's always doing rituals and spells and stuff. She's a, a sorceress of some kind. They're traveling together. There's, I think they're lovers at this stage, uh, and they're they're trying to, to stamp out what's left of of uh, of Blackheart's conspiracy. And they've arrived in uh, in Georgia, and they've been following this mysterious surge of demonic energy that's taken over the city. And as they arrive, uh, we can see that the Savannah, Georgia, is is burning, and uh, on the outskirts they're stopped by uh, by some of those kind of cops, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they're trying to get in. Uh, to find out what's happening in Savannah, we can see it. You know, we can see it completely on fire, and uh, you know the cops are like, "Okay, well, turn your weird ass, you know, <laughs> your your weird ass car, you weird ass people, disappear," and uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, at that point, one of the cops unwisely uh, maces Johnny, and uh, while there's this car on fire coming from behind him, he's going to look behind him, and they they're spraying him in the face, and of course this dude. Uh, you know, gets out of the car and uh, of course Johnny's been maced. Next thing, you know, he's trying to is that trying to cover his eye. You know, get the mace out of his eyes and mm-hmm. the the steam starts coming off him. You know, the smoke starts coming off him. And next thing, he wrecks his fingers down his flesh and he's it's really it's kind of gross. You know, yeah. he starts tearing the flesh off his off his face and the skull beneath. The next thing, you know, there's all this dead flesh hanging off the the Ghost Rider as he appears. It's class. The cops are shooting at the at at the. <laughs> the ghost rider the bullets are just turning to turning to you know steam before they before they hit him and of course he melts melts you know grabs the 
cop melts the melts the cop, the gun in the hand and everything all together. So Johnny takes off into uh, into Savannah and he's following the trail of this demonic energy and he encounters uh, this demon, you know, and the, the demon's lying sort of prostrate, you know, a big gash across him, you know, and uh, the demon's like, haven't you had enough? You already killed me, Ghost Rider. And Johnny's like, we got this go- our, our Johnny hmm. is going, what what the hell? You know, you speak nonsense, demon. Uh, you know, and they're like, this city was our playground until, and then you came. But we know that Johnny's just arrived. So, you know, what the hell is, what the hell is going on? And it goes like that. It continues like, um, it continues like a, like a whodunit, you know, like a mystery. But uh, to some extent, it's already been solved because we already know what's what's going on. We already know that uh, from previous issues that uh, that uh, Johnny's brother Danny Ketch, mm-hmm. uh, the the Death Rider, the the Ghost Rider, my Ghost Rider, the Ghost Rider of the nineties, uh, is back and he's working with these creepy, creepy people, um, you know. And uh, this this uh, I don't know. They're like this, like Weapon X kind of division, a supernatural Weapon X kind of division that are uh, they've made them into. Uh, like a, a weird he almost looks like Ghost Rider but wearing the Weapon X helmet yeah. you know he's they're they're weaponizing the supernatural and uh, they've made him into, into into something so you know so so I mean Benjamin Percy is bringing back uh, Danny Ketch in the, in the absolutely in a really dark dark way <laughs> obviously we're putting Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider and Danny Ketch Ghost Rider on a, a direct path collision to, course collision course exactly that <clears throat> and uh, a very intriguing you know, uh, the way Ben Percy writes sort of just pulls you in and makes you care about about Johnny and about Talia and about Danny, and and sort of understand what's going on. But it's very the the whole moral spectrum of it is very very grey. You know, as it should be with Ghost Rider, and the you know the 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 Corey Smith art is just brutal like it's just absolutely <clears throat> brutal it's arguably Marvel's most adult title I think uh, could like be it really does go yeah. down the, the realms of horror and gore and over the top nature but it never feels too gratuitous I don't think yeah oh, it's, and there's there's some great moments like you know there, there's there's this this two page spread where uh, where the ghost is going through this graveyard and, and there's these you know there's zombies coming up from the ground and reaching and dragging them down and they they overwhelm him and they pull him down and there's this there's this uh, gravestone with a cross mm. just in front of him and he reaches and he grabs the top of the cross and he just pulls it out of the ground like a fiery sword and just <laughs> whoosh it's absolutely class uh, so yeah this is this is just a great great book um, you know and then of course we've got the problem then you know you know Johnny the flames again and uh, they have to find clothes you know at the local Walmart and for him <laughs> And and all of this stuff, it's and there's there's Talia's rituals trying to get to the bottom of, of what's going on, uh. But yeah, it's uh, it's all going that way. It's all going that way. Uh, the, as you say, collision course for, for the brothers, um. But yeah, it's uh, we're we're one year into this series. It's absolutely pedal to the metal, firing in all cylinders. You know. Any other motorbike, uh, <laughs> you know, contrast you can make. You you won't uh, be as strange at this point, I'm afraid. Can I can I just say it's it's a hell of a ride. Oh dear, <laughs> oh dear, dear listener, I can only apologise for the puntastic nature of this evening's uh, recording. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess they'll be releasing these as 
trades? Yeah, I mean, there's been two. There's two trades available so far, which I think brings you up to issue ten. Yep. Uh, sorry, issue twelve, 12. and uh, that's in advance. I believe Danny Ketch is getting his own title as well. Uh, Danny Ketch Ghost Rider. I think that's a nostalgia title. Oh, is um, it? Oh, okay. So rather than continuing from, uh, from our ghost, this current oh, ghost Rider, okay. I think it's one of the one of the throwback sort of titles to the nineties. Oh, that's fair. Um, which will be enjoyable as well. It's on my list certainly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, very very good book though, Ghost Rider, and again it's. It's part of that whole commitment to slightly more adult storytelling with Marvel, which is mm. great to see. And you know, it's always weird calling Ghost Rider a street level hero, but he is kind of a street level character. He's one of the Midnight Suns. I always think about him as the, as one of the Midnight Suns alongside Blade, Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those sorts of almost mystical su characters, yeah, supernatural characters. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's good to see Ghost Rider continuing on like this because you're never sure a book like that will find an audience for as yeah. long as it has. Because there's been a couple of false starts with Ghost Rider, haven't there? Uh, again, Ghost Rider is one of those characters that, since the Howard Mackey run, has really struggled. Yeah, under you know, it was Clayton Crane, uh, was the artist on a bunch of different Mark stuff. Mark Texero. Yeah, yeah, the, the, it's it's jumped from volume to volume and, yeah. and never quite sell. But uh, Ben Percy sort of seems to seems to have it sort of locked down. And there was a great there was a great run actually before Percy's run. Yeah, but was it not one that went for like seven yeah, issues and then did, disappeared yeah, for ages yeah. and then like a one shot came yeah, out yeah, and yeah, sort of finished off and that kind of thing. So, but yeah, Ghost Rider number twelve, uh, another Marvel Marvel title that I am very much enjoying myself. So we'll move away from there and on to the realm of indie, and uh, we're going to be talking next about Kaya number six, which is subtitled Kaya and the Magic Arm. So Ooh. Kaya, of course, is the creator own title from Wes Craig. Um, I promise we don't just choose our titles based on who we've interviewed in the past. But it's we starting, have interviewed Wes Craig. But it's starting to feel that way. <laughs> uh, I mean, my, my love of Wes Craig, of course, comes yeah. from Deadly Class. Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. really, really enjoying Kaya. Uh, I think there's a lot of cool design work that's to be applauded. Uh, I chatted about it in one of my more recent YouTube ones, talking about issue 7, how they printed new story arc on the cover. I like that they give you ideas on the cover, with, you know, log lines. It almost looks very cinematic. Uh, with regards to it and also good descriptions of what's inside because comics very rarely have a blurb on the cover or on the back but Kaya does every time which I find really interesting but yeah issue six is part of this slightly growing trend I would say with indie books where the main story will be confined to graphic novels mm -hmm. but they will release one shots every so often that are single issues that are rewarding single issue readers giving you a little bit more depth and context to the world so I was looking forward to this one for quite a while because this one was going to be the story of how Kaya got the magic golden arm. And I thought the story did not disappoint. You get a one-page uh, catch-up on everything that's happened so far. Uh, but then you get Kaya telling her story. And she was basically growing up in a small village and she was sort of torn between two different ideologies. She had her uncle, Kova, who was a hunter, well-trained, a survivor, a fierce warrior. And then you had her mother, who was very much about magic and mystical and all about um, things coming to pass and, and that sort of thing. So her mother basically believed that she was that Kaya was going to be this great defender for this huge evil that was coming. And it didn't matter how much um, Uncle Kova tried to stop her, um, not abusing the child, but certainly placing unrealistic expectations on her. and Maybe a kind of abuse? Uh, possibly, yeah, possibly. But it gets to the point, there's a little bit of emotional blackmail, you know, saying, do you love your mother and all this kind of stuff. And 
one night she basically gets ripped from her bread uh, bread ripped from her bed and taken out into the forest where she's going to be bitten by this snake now the snake is apparently to prove that kaya is the chosen one because this snake will bite her and nothing happens however the snake bites her she's not the chosen one and there's this poison feeding through her arm so of course you can see where this is going you have this you know rather dark sequence where it's fasten a tourniquet uh so she's gonna have the arm chopped off but the thing is her uncle kova despite being a man of training despite being a man of of sort of the real world so to speak he does have belief in a higher power as well so after kaya's arms chopped off the poison slows but it's still going to kill her but he runs off to somewhere called the thunder mountains mm. and he's determined to try and find something to save her um so kaya uh, the story's being told here the elders told me only the desperate and the godless go there the black wizard's gifts so there's you know they come at a heavy price so uncle kova has clearly had to pay some heavy price to save kaya's life but he returns to the village with this golden arm which is able to uh, be attached to kaya it stops the poison it saves her life and after that kova actually raises kaya as opposed to her mother her mum actually moves on um to the king so yeah it was a really really good little tale it, it had the usual Wes great great art very dynamic uh lots of small panels you know very fast paced uh big expressive eyes i mean i you know you don't need me to tell you again how much of a fan i am of Wes craig's art but there's just there's just something great about it it's like a mix between anime and traditional comic book mm. art that i really really like this is the first issue of this that uh, that made me, and I will invoke it, uh, made me think of Bone. Fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a bigger compliment than that, I would say. Um, but yeah, no, there's even a little uh, a little mini essay from Wes Craig talking about, you know, this is what he calls an in-betweener, the special between arcs issue, and these won't be collected, that kind of thing. It's, it's kind of nice that creators do want to think of the single-issue readers a little bit as well, maybe reward them a little bit more. Because without single issues selling well enough, they may not even hit a trade. Yeah, that sort of thing. But you do also get a nice backup story as well, uh, with you know a different artists taking on the world of Kaya for a few pages. Uh, it's just a little mini story, which is is pretty cool, really well drawn, a little bit of fan art at the back and all the rest. But yeah, just a really really good issue and great to see the uh, great to see the story behind Kaya and her magic arms. So. You even get a little bit of detail in the back of how to start your own creator own yeah, book. I saw that, yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, great stuff all around, I yep. thought. And uh, worth mentioning, uh, as we alluded to at the start, we have mentioned uh, Wes, Craig, we have interviewed mm-hmm. him, um, and uh, that was, I suppose it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, it would have been towards um, the end of last year. Yeah, it was a it was a great interview, it was largely about Kaya, um, so if you're interested in uh, in that, if you're reading the book, if you're interested in the book, it might be worth uh, swinging back Definitely down so. The, down and, uh, and listen to that one and the first trade is available in store and it comes out with that very nice image price point of nine pounds as well so Lovely. we're going to stay in the realm of indie then uh we are indeed and uh we're uh we're we're gonna drop into the the stables of dark horse uh and this is one i don't think i think i've mentioned it in previews before but mm-hmm. i don't think i've picked it as a as a review title because I've really been looking forward to it, and that is, uh, and I've really been enjoying it, and that is the adap- adaptation uh, of Assassin's Apprentice, the first of the Farseer trilogy novels by uh, Robin Hogg, Robin Hobb, who is the, the pen name for uh, Megan Lindholm, 
so this is written by Robin Hobb, who's the original author of the... I think that original book was 1990. Jason and, uh, was that? I think so. And uh, then the script is by Jodie Hauser, and uh, the uh, illustrated by Ryan Kelly, colours uh, um, by Jordi Belair, and uh, worth, le- worth mentioning that letters by our, our Hassan Osmani Alua, because he's all over the place. So... Um, where to start with this? Um, so this is the fourth issue of uh, of Assassin's Apprentice. Uh, the uh, the story the story is that um, the illegitimate son of the prince, uh, a kid called Fitz, has been taken in by his uncle, uh, Prince Verity, and brought to Buckkeep to live and meet his royal family. Uh, it soon uh, becomes apparent that. A magic runs in his veins, but it's not the proper kind of magic. It's a magic called the wit. It's beast magic, mm-hmm. dirty magic. Uh, and uh, he is placed under the care of uh, Burek, who is his father. Uh, his father, his dad, his father's now passed away. Uh, uh, Prince, 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 Prince. I can't even remember what you call him. Uh, but he was his stable Prince master. Prince has one name. Yeah, well, so, <laughs> so he's paced under the stable master's training to, to keep his beast magic suppressed. But uh, Fitz doesn't find life among nobles to be particularly particularly easy. Um, and uh, he, as the as the illegitimate son of the, the heir, mm-hmm. uh, he is, is seen as a potential pawn in, in, many, in many power games. So issue four... Uh, opens with uh, a a pocked man, man with a scarred face, uh, coming into young Fitz's bedroom. If Fitz is maybe about ten or something at this stage, coming into his bedroom uh, via a secret door and uh, waking him and asking him to follow up a follow him up a secret passage to a workshop, and uh, he inducts him into the idea that uh, that King Shrewd, his uh, you know his grandfather has acknowledged that he's of royal blood. He lives in the castle. He'd be fed and educated. But in return, the king will demand loyalty. And part of that loyalty is what this character, Shade, has to teach him. Mm-hmm. And what Shade has to teach him is that as the bastard son, as the bastard uh, son of the heir, as Shade himself is, he will be educated and trained to be the king's assassin. Uh, so that he's a royal blood, so he can get into places, but he'll be trained as a killer in order to do the king's uh, dirty work. That diplomacy doesn't always run smoothly. And uh, and King Shrewd will use him to uh, to uh, thwart major problems before they become major problems. It's Shade's job to teach him everything he knows, um, you know. So it's uh, it's 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 a great adaptation, uh, of the book. Um. You know, and this 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 is this is the part of the book. I think we're now about halfway through the book, and it's issue four. It's a big chunky book, but mm-hmm. issue four has us halfway through the book. But I think that's because of. Jodie Hauser's sort of um, less is more sort of way of scripting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it makes me wonder if I wasn't so familiar with the book, would if I lost? maybe would be chasing things mm-hmm. uh, and wh- whether it would be lost, you know. But anyway, Fitz agrees. You know, he starts his double life. He continues to work in the stables, but at night he's been trained as an assassin, uh, you know, and they carry over into the day memory skills and teaching them how to befriend commoners and uh, and all of this um you know but uh in this particular issue it's a it's an interesting issue because shade the the, the the assassin trainer 
uh, asks Fitz to bring him something from the king's table at night, sneak into the king's bedroom at night mm-hmm. and steal something. And Fitz refuses because he's he doesn't want to betray his king, you know, and, and, and so forth. So it all goes a wee bit, it all goes a wee bit pear-shaped for him uh, in that. But, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful book. It's very... Um, while Jodie Hauser does, you know, does move through the book at, at, at pace. I mean, there's as you can see, it's quite heavy on it's quite heavy on uh, text on text in some places. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it's it's absolutely beautiful. It's set it is set in a fantasy world and is magic, but you people in politics are really are really the driver, mm-hmm. and and fits you know, he straddles those two words but doesn't really belong in, in either of them. Um, you know, it's it's. I mean, if they decide to go on with this, it's an ambitious adaption because yeah. this first trilogy has, well, it's a, it's, there's, there's a first trilogy, so this is the first book of the trilogy, first trilogy, and I'm now reading, I think the third book of the third trilogy, and I think there's way more. There's a few more than that that I have I have yet to I have yet to read. Yeah. Um. But. But yeah, it's there's there's a load of narrative, a load of dialogue, but uh, she just she just keeps moving. She just keeps moving through the, moving through the book, and as I say. I don't know, you know, if you reading this, would get no, the same out of yeah. it. No, I know you're not reading it, but oh, yeah. if you were reading it, would you get the same out of it as I would get out of it? Yeah, because you can fill in the blanks. Yeah, you know, but what I would say is, is Ryan Kelly just brings the characters to life in a way that I totally imagined them and have imagined them in my head for the past sort of, yeah. sort of 15 or 20 years. You know, the whether it's the royal family, whether it's the servants, whether it's young fits, whether it's the way he uses his wit magic uh, with beasts or, uh, you know, whether we're seeing... You know, whenever we're seeing Burek, uh, looking back at his time as the stable master of Prince Chivalry, we, you know, we take the color out and we've got this, you know, you know, kind of yeah, looking back panel that's just set against a, a smoky background, you know. So it it really it really looks it really looks great. The architecture, you know, the rooms, the walls, the doors. It just looks it looks exactly how I imagined it. You know, whether that is. Because Robin Hobbs such a, a, a descriptive storyteller and Judy mm-hmm. Hauser and, and Ryan Smith, Ryan Kelly have something to work with or, or what, I don't know. But but yeah, I really I really enjoyed this issue and I, I haven't mentioned it so far in a review, so I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. Um I don't know if this'll this'll I don't know how how Dark Horse trade their stuff. Yeah, I mean I think is it gonna be eight issues, is it this one? I am not I'm not a hundred percent sure. I have a sneaky feeling it's, I think it might be eight. If it's eight, I would imagine it'll be two four issue trades. Uh-huh. Uh, but it'll definitely be worth investigating. If it's six, it'll be one trade. But uh, definitely worth keeping an eye for. But as you say, I mean, it's pretty popular in our store anyway. We have a few people with the pulls. Yeah, yeah. That's good to good to see. It is. I mean, it's a fantastic adaptation. It really is fantastic. Um, brilliant books. Brilliant books. Yeah, I mean, I think nearly everybody who has signed up for it is a fan of the books. I don't think it's the kind of title that brought people in and then they found out it was a book if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but there's plenty of fans of the book who have therefore come on board mm-hmm. so cool that is assassin's apprentice so yeah we'll finish off my picks then of the month with uh something that i think we both would have picked um because it was a really great piece of work uh we've thoroughly enjoyed i think it's fair to say the batman one bad day series some have certainly been better than others but when this series of books have been good they have been great Mm -hmm. whether it's batman one bad day riddler whether it's batman one bad day mr freeze uh whether it's the clay face and this is up there with them. And this was one based on the creative team I've been looking forward to ever since the announcement. And it was always slated to be the last one. 
And that is, of course, Batman One Bad Day, Raz or Raish, if you listen to Neil Adams, who created the character. But I'm going to call him Raz Al Ghul just to annoy people because that's how Christopher Nolan pronounced it. Uh, <laughs> Raz Al Ghul, number one. And that is Tom Taylor on writing and Ivan Rice on art. And the reason this was always going to be a good book is because any good villain is the hero of their story. Mm-hmm. And Raz Al Ghul, it's hard not to be on his side sometimes. <laughs> He's, he he has good reason for what he does. He is the ultimate, for lack of a better term, environmentalist villain. Like Raz Al Ghul sees the big picture. He's lived thousands of years. He's seen humanity poison and destroy the earth. He has seen them basically destroy their own home, uh, get um, sucked into their own wealth and self-importance, uh, as opposed to looking at the bigger picture. Uh, so... First of all, I should say as well, the writing is great, but the art is next level good. This is one seriously gorgeous book. I mean, it kicks off with a, a splash page of a young Raz al Ghul seeing someone being killed uh, as his village is being raised. And he's very close to being killed himself, except uh, he looks at it as the earth saves him because basically the forest saves him because wolves come out of there uh, and he is saved by them. But the main crux of this book is Raz has a plan and there's one or two times where Batman gets involved where he always goes like, oh, this detective, I wonder what we could do together, but he'll never listen mm-hmm. to his sort of views. But basically Raz has targeted 27 of the world's richest and most spoiled people, shall we say, people who are spoiling the earth. And uh, he manages to kill one or two before Batman gets on to his plan. But... It reaches a point where Raz is even ready to sacrifice his own grandson, Damien, in response to the greater good. I think he even says the words to Bruce. Um, where are we here? So he kidnaps Damien. Bruce comes to find him. And he says, he's your grandson, Raz. You won't harm him. You still don't understand. No life is worth more than the future. And there's even this big dramatic moment in the middle of this book where Raz puts a sword straight through Batman's heart, uh, killing him. Now, of course... You know something like that is not going to be permanent for the reasons of comics, but also for the reasons of, you know, Raz al Ghul is heavily steeped in uh, the, the Lazarus pits and being able to bring people back to life, though it may play with their mind a little bit. <laughs> That's an understatement. A little bit. may drive them completely raving insane. Unless they're Batman. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's loads of cool moments here, you know, as, as Batman dies in his arms, Damien takes the cowl off and puts it over him and... You know, he's crying his eyes out, telling Raz where to go, all this kind of stuff. But what, you know, air quotes, killing Bruce does is take him out of the picture for a couple of months and allows Raz to go ahead with his plan to essentially kill all these, you know, it's like the heads of different oil companies and all these kinds of things. He manages to uh, take Bruce out of the picture for three months. Mm-hmm. And in that time, Raz executes his entire plan. But what's interesting about it as well is, and it sort of shows Damien's loyalty to his father rather than his grandfather, is he does say, I couldn't stop him, but I didn't join him. I stand here with you. And this leads to a big final battle between Batman and Raz, which is a glorious throwback to the days of Neil Adams, uh-huh. to the duel in the desert, you know, a topless Batman, topless Raz al Ghul, you know, fighting over the snow-drenched mountains. Reminded me a wee bit of the battle at, uh, in Batman Beyond as well. Yep, I think that is another a fair comparison as well. But not to take away from your Neil Adams comparison. There. <laughs> I, I I think one's just as uh, vital as the other, but 
yeah, I mean, there's there's this big battle between them towards the end, but it, it's hard to pick a side in a book like this, and that's always a sign of something that's really well written. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Batman, in a way, almost be- comes across as a little bit of a nuisance in this. Yeah, like, he does. Yeah, he does. Like, you're part of the problem. <laughs> you know, and Raz has this plan, basically, to save the Earth, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, just a really, really fantastic book. It was great. To, it's always great to see Raz Al Ghul highlighted a bit more as I think he is one of those villains that is a, a lot more it's a lot easier to understand his plight and his reasoning for doing things as I say the art the whole way through the book is gorgeous it, it can be gruesome at times uh, it can be beautiful at times it's uh, yeah a seriously seriously good piece of work and I'm one of one of Tom Taylor's best written things I think as well you know 64 pages brilliantly told and again, I'm a bit sad to see the end of this one bad day mm-hmm. format. I really hope they bring it back. And I mean, let's not forget the core of the story. It's about a man and his dog. <laughs> Which, as we know from John Wick, never harm a dog. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, highly recommend picking this up. Again, just to you know, bring it back to the one bad day thing, you can pick up whatever ones you want. They don't really link together except for thematically. So, therefore, you can pick up ones for creators you like or for characters you like. But I highly recommend picking this up. This is up there with the best of them, I think. They're going a wee bit mad with the uh, the collected editions, aren't they? They're, it's a wee bit squiffy. Yeah, I mean, and I'm going to fall for it. But <laughs> yeah, they're, so they were all released as 64-page square-bound um, books anyway. So they're really nice premium editions. But they're bringing out hardcovers and the price is sort of more than double of what you've paid for these. They're doing slipcase editions. They're doing all sorts of things. But... Whatever way you pick up the story, whatever your preferred method is, you won't be disappointed. It's uh, It's been a very, very good series with very few sort of duds along the way. So, uh, yeah, my final pick of March, Raz Al Ghul, One Bad Day, number one. Obi Dobi. Um, take us home. I will take you home. I am uh, I'm, I'm staying with IDW. Um, so, uh, so I am. Uh, I was, we've been through Dark Horse. Oh, no, we haven't been through IDW at all, have we? No, is this our first IDW pick? So I'm I'm staying uh, I'm staying independent. Uh, and well, we uh, have had a good slate tonight. We've had Dark Horse, we've had Image, we've had Marvel, we've had DC. Yeah, yeah, good yeah, spread. Doing all right. Good, yeah, spread. good spread. So yeah, finishing off with IDW, uh, and it's uh, issue one of uh, Cantwell and uh, Angel Unzueta's uh, Star Trek Defiant. Which spins out of issue five of the uh, the core Star Trek series by uh, Kelly and Lansing. Oh, there's that name again. <laughs> so, so yeah, picks up from the the events of uh, of Star Trek, and I should say this is the uh, this is the the Iron Man team back together again. Uh, just to, uh, any excuse. <laughs> but uh, yes, they spin they spin directly out of the events of. Um, of Star Trek Five, uh, so in the Star Trek comic, uh, someone is killing the gods, uh, and Benjamin Sisko, uh, who is, uh, the captain of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. uh, or was the captain of Deep Space Nine, and at the end of Deep Space Nine, was taken to exist with the, the in the wormhole with the prophets, the the Bajoran gods. Uh, he was there. He was their emissary all the way through. Sometimes didn't want to be, but that's the way it went, and he was taken away. Uh, at the start of Star Trek number one, he was brought back with this mission because someone's been killing the gods and Cisco's prophets, uh, you know, have have um, have sent him back to 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 stop this from happening. You know, uh, but 
uh, Worf, uh, who you may know from the next generation, um, feels that uh, feels that that uh, and Cisco being guided by the prophets to deal with this, he's forgotten about the on the ground casualties. He's forgotten about the, the people who are actually getting hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that the the enemy we have discovered is a man, not a god, and uh, Worf of the House Martok has put together his own crew aboard the USS Defiant, which is a, a plucky little ship from Deep Space Nine, uh, in the hopes of defeating this uh, dangerous messiah and uh, and this this uh, genocidal cult. Uh, the, the the man in question, the, 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 the messiah in question, who's killing the gods, is Emperor Kalis, who is the, the clone ruler of, of, of the Klingon homeworld. And he's started this cult called the Red Path, that uh, they deem unworthy of power, everybody, including gods. Um, so anyway, um, Worf has split off from from his old friend and the emissary, Benjamin Sisko. He's left his ambassadorship and is stationed aboard the USS Theseus, and uh, he has uh, he's headed in the direction of the Defiant to put together a, a team. So he's trying to find a way to stop Kalis that doesn't start a galaxy-wide war. He makes his, his run from the Theseus on a shuttle, and he's shot down and winds up uh, taken up prisoner in a Romulan colony. But he's saved by none other than Ambassador Spock, which is class. <laughs> he, he then joins Worf on his, on his quest, and with Spock's help, Worf borrows the, uh, the Defiant from Deep Space Nine, puts together a crew that includes uh, former Maquis, who were a, a rebel, uh, a rebel organization and mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek and uh, also um, uh, Voyager one of some Voyager members of the Voyager crew Balana Torres uh, former Enterprise D helmsman and traitor to Starfleet Ro Lauren and Data's not so nice brother Lore uh, so you know their, their mission is now to apprehend Kalis put an end to the Red Path cult and uh, and try and and uh, you know this cult has taken world taken root on the on the Klingon homeworld, mm-hmm. but l- sort of twisted in with this is that Worf's son, Alexander, who he's always been disenfranchised from, uh, has made the poor decision to join this cult and Kalis, so pitting Worf against his own his mm-hmm. own son. So it's 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 really there's some cool stuff going on, you know, across these two books, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, or as we mentioned in our previous podcast actually. Um, there is a crossover coming up between these mm-hmm. two books called Day of Blood, which is very much going to be a part of this. But yeah, great book. Uh, looks fantastic. Um, all of the characters look the way they're supposed to do, and I think it's, I think it's it's critical in in licensed properties that that's, that, the, case, that's the case. You know, yeah. so you know this is Cisco. <clears throat> you know this is Worf. Uh, you know, and what's going on. So it's uh, you look, there's a buzzer spot right there. Looking the part, uh, you know very much Nimoy. So, so and the yeah, I mean in the in the Hickman style, you've got some data pages to get you caught up and uh, and all of this. So it, it really is it really is good stuff. Great story, great action. Um, Angel Enzoetta's art, uh, is just is just beautiful. Uh, great lighting effects, great great mood. You know the Defiant looks like the Defiant. Um, and as I say, great character likenesses for some of the key characters. Um. The even, even above the core Star Trek series, I think, with regard mm-hmm. to these likenesses, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, I would say so. So yeah, it's very very good. Um, really enjoying it. Really enjoyed the the first issue, 
The visuals are fantastic. The story's the story's great as and you wouldn't expect anything else from from Cantwell. It's a spin off, but it feels like a core. It feels solid. Um, you know, setting everything up. This is very much a set up issue. And uh and yeah, so uh yeah, it's it's cool. And then there's some of the, the data pages we've got are, are from uh, significant characters within the Star Trek universe as well. So mm-hmm. so yeah. Um the the book has been described as the Dirty Dozen meets Star Trek. <laughs> that's kinda that's kinda dead odd. So looking forward to see what uh, seeing what seeing what comes and, and also the, the link up with Day of Day of Blood. So yeah, I mean very much I'm very much in a in a Star Trek place at the moment. And uh, they seem to be releasing quite a few books at the moment. You know, the main Star Trek title you've got Defiant, I think there's some Lower Decks comics, I think there's yep. some Strange New World stuff, um, yeah, they had a Picard series recently, yep. Stargazer. Yeah, absolutely they did, I mean it's, uh, I, I've, I've stuck to Defiant, uh, Star Trek and then and Days of Blood, but I mean I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a Star Trek fan mm. across multiple media, you know we've got Picard just finished a stellar season 3, uh, um, Strange New Worlds is about to, second season's about to start mm-hmm. and it's already been picked up for season 3. Uh, Lower Decks is fantastic stuff. There's the the rumors of uh, from Terry Metzalis, who was the producer on Picard, uh, about picking up uh, a show called Star Trek Legacy. So it's uh, it's it's a strong time to be a Star Trek fan. <laughs> Way too much lore for me to jump into. <laughs> Barely have time to watch what I want to watch. Like jumping into something like that, but uh, no, it's I'm I'm definitely seeing more people sign up for Star Wars comics in the last sort of couple of months than I've seen. Star Trek since comics. Star Trek. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Did I say Star Wars? You did. Star Trek comics. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've seen more people sign up for Star Trek comics in the last couple of months than I've seen since we opened. You know, six years ago. So it's definitely uh, catching fire a bit. A lot of guys chatting about Picard, their their enjoyment of that as well. So that probably does add to it. I would say. Or nine. Shields up, red alert. <sighs> All over my head. I would like to say otherwise, but uh, but yeah. So Star Trek Defiant is Keith's. Fifth and final pick from the month of March 2023. So a decent wee diverse range there, I think. As I say, we covered IDW, we covered Dark Horse, we covered Image, Marvel, DC, all of the above. So as ever with all these titles available in sort of different formats at this point, whether it's you want to trade with, want us to track single issues, that kind of thing. But if anything does interest you out of those, just get in touch with the store and we'll always guide you and do our best to source what you need and as always these are only our preferences uh anything that we have not mentioned that you may love doesn't mean that we also don't love it it's just we don't have time to talk about it because it may also be that we just don't want to talk about nightwing every month (laughs) into the bargain as well so uh but yeah no hope you guys enjoy this hope it proved useful as always always a pleasure sitting here chatting comics with mr miller again wonderful to be back in person as well as opposed to over the wonders of the internet yes and i hope uh although we are still trying to sort out our technical issues with regard to uh, sound being back together again uh we did prefer to get something out rather than not yeah uh and we will uh i hope it wasn't uh too much of an off put uh and uh, we will get it sorted over the next week or two very much so very much so but anyway we're going to leave it there again hope you enjoyed this hope it proves useful hope it maybe guides you towards some stuff that maybe you weren't too sure about uh sort of uh puts under the spotlight some of those titles anyway so i hope to see you guys in the store soon hope you're staying safe out there and uh again thanks for listening and uh, in the meantime if the uh, cloned version of your ancient emperor decides to kill your god 
absolutely assemble a crew of motley individuals and go after them. I thought he was just going to say, I'm rum. <laughs> That'd be my preference. <laughs> Good night. Bye. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.